Welcome back to the Bikini Academy podcast. Today I'll be interviewing my fellow co-host, the beautiful Nicole Hitchcock. We thought that this would give our listeners a bit of insight into the people behind the podcast episodes that you hear each week. So let's get into it. Nicole, can you share a bit about yourself and how your fitness journey began growing up? I'm on the hot seat and I don't know where to start. I know, that's a pretty broad question. (laughs) Okay, so I guess um, for context for our listeners, um, I'll give you a little bit of information about me. So um, I'm 38, I think. Oh, my goodness. Um, So (laughs) I had to think about that for a second. So um, a lot of people always are surprised by my age, which I find interesting. So that's good. Drop the skincare routine. (laughs) hydration and stay out of the sun yeah <laughs> and regular exercise of course but um so yeah what would you're having <laughs> I guess um when I talk about maybe my fitness industry or not in my fitness industry, my fitness history rather um I've been competing in competitive bodybuilding since 2017 so that's now uh seven years however um prior to that I didn't really strength train or train for the aspirations of obviously competing or building my physique so um I guess to to give you more in tell as to like what my fitness journey really was I guess it kind of fell in from when I was a kid um so growing up I did do some competitive sports um that were highly disciplined and I guess that gave me some foundation as to being a good athlete and um, being able to f- follow routine as well. So, you know, things that we look at when we're looking at being a good competitor. So I grew up doing the, the standard stuff where, you know, you're in school teams. I I was on the swim team. I was not, yeah, you know, I wouldn't say I was amazing, but I was definitely better than a lot of the kids. Um, backstroke was my, my jam, but um, <laughs> Good luck seeing me swim in a pool these days. Definitely don't have that same level of stamina or cardiovascular, um, cardiovascular health. But um, I did that for quite a while. And then I was in my early uh, or late, late, I guess, late or oh, early teens. Um, well, definitely like primary school. I can't even say early teens. Um, around that 10 to 12-ish mark where I wasn't really doing any sports or anything like that, just outside of the norm. I was obviously like just, you know, as a kid running around, riding a bike, like that sort of stuff. Um, my parents never really pushed me into any sports. I weren't really invested in any kinds of sports themselves. Um, but I unfortunately got bullied at school. And um, as a result of that, getting a black eye as a oh. young girl <laughs> from a boy picking on me because I stood my ground and I didn't boy. like what he wow. wanted to say. Yeah, so um, I I obviously uh, got in, uh, I wouldn't even say fight, like he hit me because he didn't like what I was saying. It was like the school bully. But my parents obviously didn't want to stand for that. So they actually put me into martial arts so I could learn how to defend myself. So that was really my first sport that I took up and like followed through. And that was like a, a passion for me. Like I loved it. Um, funnily enough, my uncle was a, um, like he basically ran a dojo so he um and my uh like his his son um like a cousin of mine also went there as well but I went there I I would train three to four times a week you know really disciplined style of training here I'm talking about like forcing to do you know 100 sit-ups 100 push-ups you know running along the beach running stairs and then getting into you know doing carters and like training sessions so really 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 (laughs) intensive for a young child to obviously do and I 
uh, was able to follow that through and receive my black belt at the age of 14, which was the youngest female in my region to be awarded that level. Um, so it was a wow. pretty big deal, um, obviously, back then. And I also did competitive um martial arts. So I was doing karate and I would regularly compete in competitions and they would be, I'm going to say they're non-contact because you weren't allowed to technically like hit anyone, but you would like stop before you would obviously strike someone. So it was like the same level of focus and like you going into it, like, you know, I'm really going to like just I'm not even say destroy, but you know, you're yeah. going into it with the same intentions of like, I want to win. Like, um, yeah. and I was very good at it. I have a lot of awards and trophies. I always came away from a tournament um, first place um, or, you know, the overall winner for my age category, you know, beating boys as well, which was kind of cool. Um, so I loved that. And I pursued that until I was about 14. And then unfortunately we relocated and I wasn't able to continue that style anymore. So from there, that was kind of like when I went to high school and um, wasn't really, really training then, you know, going through standard thing as a female, not really invested yeah. in anything, did try to go back into swimming. But at the same time, that was when, you know, going through puberty, didn't quite feel comfortable with that sort of stuff. And yeah. it was probably not until my early adulthood, like early 20s, where I started to go back into what you would probably say, like normal style of training, which would be like going to the gym. And I started yeah. at the group fitness classes, of course. Yeah. Okay. So more like a functional style training. Yeah, so absolutely never had a face-to-face -face PT um, and like I was the person that would, you know, go to a class, trial it out, you know, get hooked on it. You go to that one every week and then you'd, you know, see how many other sessions there were of that same class each week and, you know, maybe I'm going to 10 group fitness classes and then at that time it was more things like uh, step classes, ABT classes, um, like weighted hit sessions. So that was the style of training that I started with before I actually jumped onto the gym floor. So I did that for quite a while before I learned about the the need for obviously strength training and obviously, you know, going and being comfortable with jumping on the gym floor as well. Um, and a byproduct of me getting into that was actually because I went back to martial arts and I realized I'm not as strong as I think I am. And, you know, I'm doing things with males and people that are bigger than me. And I was not, I would say I was not a person that you would think is a competitor because I had no muscle on me mm. whatsoever. I was very overtrained because the style of training I was doing was really cardiovascular based. Um, I wasn't really understanding of rest recoverability. Um, I was doing more sessions than I probably needed to, plus also daily activity. And at the time, I wasn't really eating like appropriately as well. So um, it was really only in like the last 10 years that I started to be more aware of that stuff. And as a result of me also going back into my studies um, as well and learning more things about nutrition and health and things um, that that kind of got that ball rolling. And then that's how I started to get more into, you know, weightlifting a little bit more. Yeah, what a transition, I guess. I feel like no one would expect that from you to have your black belt in martial arts. Yeah, when can't you remember see you stepping on stage as a sparkly bikini competitor. So I guess what inspired you to become a bikini competitor in the first place? I feel like anyone who's competed has that competitive nature. So obviously growing up doing those sort of competitions and sport, um, 
you know, I guess you could say that you're a very competitive person. So I feel like that's that probably translated very well over into bodybuilding. Yeah, I'm going to say I'm really intrinsically motivated uh, when it comes yeah. to competitiveness because I never really did a team-based sport. Um, so it was always like my success was based on like my my work and my dedication. Um, but I didn't know anything about bodybuilding when I was brought into the sport. I was basically uh, brought in as an uh, like I had colleagues that competed and thought maybe I would be good at it. And kind of invited me to come and watch a show. And, you know, I saw what it was all about. I remember the first show I watched was an ICN show at the Sleeman Center. Um, and that was, I was like, wow, I was like, I didn't know this existed. This is really cool. Um, and I was like, oh, I wonder if I could do this. Um, not obviously realizing that you have to train to obviously <laughs> get that physique. At the time, I thought you just had to diet. Um, and as a result of that, I got introduced to that person's coach at the time, which was my first coach, Joey Cantlin, and that's how I got started. Yeah, wow. That's, yeah, that's wild. I feel like competing has definitely evolved so much over the mm -hmm. years as well. So what was your first show experience like going to see that? Uh, it was definitely eye-opening because, as we know, like ICN, Queensland put on very big productions. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot of noise. Um, I didn't understand, obviously, the categories or anything like that. I did have um, friends trying to introduce me and, like, tell me a little bit more about it so I had more awareness. But I walked away and I was like, well, <laughs> I want to do this. I want to give it a go. I saw it as a challenge that was new. And at that time in my life, like a lot of people, I wanted something different to work towards. And I was really stagnant with what I was doing with my exercise. And I definitely wasn't enjoying doing my martial arts anymore. And I knew I probably didn't want to do it. So I was like, oh, I'm going to give this a go, you know, see what happens. Absolutely no expectations whatsoever, which is kind of like, oh, I'll see. But the same token, I did have a, a few people that regularly saw me in the gym around that time and would question if I was a competitor. And I take this from the standpoint that I was just lean and it wasn't mm -hmm. as a result of me maybe being competitive. I just w was lean and I didn't have a lot of body fat. So maybe I appeared to look like I was a competitor. Um, but uh, it could also be maybe there was potential that I was not aware of at the same time. Yeah, of course. I guess prior to hiring Joey did you have any experience with training or any structure with your nutrition what was what was that like for you it was pretty low um I did the standard like searching online at that point in time like you'd go to like bodybuilding.com or like try to find <laughs> a program like online and try to follow it or you'd see a fitness influencer at the time and like try to see what they were doing so I definitely dabbled in that. I observed what others were doing in the gym and I was like, oh, that's a piece of equipment I haven't used before. I'll try it. But I never approached a PT, um, not out of any particular reason either. Um, so really me working with a coach for a, a competition was the first time I actually had my own program um, outside of maybe friends showing me some exercises or something like that or training with a friend. Um, and then when it came to nutrition, I had a little bit better of an idea. I was at the time tracking on my fitness power. I had been for a while. I'm going to say it was not good tracking <laughs> because yeah. I definitely learned <laughs> that. literacy was, no, not it was so low. Yeah. But I was on the app. I was obviously using it and um, I was very conscious of 
my nutritional health when it came to micronutrient diversity. Um, I had studied, uh, I had started doing um, more research and study myself, just developing my pathways uh, at that point in time. So I was already invested in that. So I had that background knowledge, but I didn't really apply it in the right capacity just yet. Yeah. Okay. So was anything changed in terms of your macros when you did start working with a coach? Yeah. I remember thinking this is a lot of food. And at the time now I look at it, I'm like, that's not a lot of food. No. <laughs> what, what, what was the initial approach? Were you placed at maintenance, a deficit, a surplus? I believe I was, well, technically would have been a surplus to what I was eating because mm -hmm. I was definitely under eating um, and definitely under eating in certain macros, which I find is really common when you just don't have that awareness or you're trying to you know, focus on a goal. So, you know, protein was definitely not a priority. That's for sure. So I really you were just tracking calories then. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Or like just having a look at what my meal is. Um, I didn't understand at that point the importance of certain macronutrients when it came to obviously energy systems and that stuff, sort of stuff like that was all not a thing. So when I came to you know, flexible dieting, I found it really hard to hit certain macros or construct some meals sometimes, um, definitely on the earlier on stages. And I used to be like, how do people hit their protein intake for the day? And I totally understand how people have that same issue when they're new to that as well, because it mm -hmm. might just not be a priority. But um, I went on a very small building phase um, before I actually started my prep. So we didn't work too much together before I actually started my first season. So, you know, basically signing on, I had a period of growth, obviously built up a little bit, and then it was pretty much game on for my first season. And um, and then it didn't stop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of just ignites that fire and then it doesn't go away, does it? No. <laughs> so you were saying, I guess your biggest struggle was nutrition when you first started your prep. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges that you've faced during your comp prep, I guess, both mentally and physically? Just in general, across the board. Yeah, let's yeah, I guess in terms of your whole competing career. Okay, so I would definitely say that routine and dedication has never been an issue. I have a light bulb light bulb switch, it kind of just goes on and off like when I need yeah. it to. So the focus is never a problem. Um the nutritional aspect, I never I don't feel like I had a problem uh in prep because I was that person that wanted to hit everything by the gram. So yeah. I would make sure that that was a non-negotiable and nutritional precision wouldn't have been there for the first year. Definitely not. So there would have been a margin of error for sure. Um, but that was also something that I didn't struggle as much with. I'd say the biggest struggle in a, a, a prep across multiple preps, definitely the first one, few ones was probably training because mm -hmm. a lot of the training was new movements that I had not learnt um, or I didn't really interpret whether I was ego lifting or if I was training appropriately because I just didn't have that feedback because I hadn't worked with someone to maybe correct form. So a lot of my check-ins were also sometimes form checks or we might have a PT session. Um, and I learned over time a little bit more. And then obviously um, the more that I became more educated and I became a coach and did my certs and all different things, like the, the more aware I became that, you know, back in the start of my competitive history, it's probably not training the best. <laughs> no. Well, I feel like your intensity gauge is just so different. I used to think that I trained hard and then I would train with a coach and be like, my intensity is way off what I would gauge as 
difficult, you know, then I would actually be pushed by someone else and realize I'm actually capable of a lot more. But you just don't really get that until you you build that training experience, I think. Not at all. And I actually have my Instagram, like if I scroll real hard, I will find, I think I've got a video of my first attempt at a hundred kilo hip thrust and it's abysmal. Like the form is absolutely shocking. I remember being so excited for that. (laughs) And I look at that now and I'm like, Crash. never have happened <laughs> but you're so proud of it at the time yeah probably elicited no muscle growth but hey but hey she got the, she got the triple digits <laughs> and that's all that matters <laughs> please don't go scrolling for that by the way no. <laughs> you go this thing is not good <laughs> so I guess what was your biggest accomplishment in bodybuilding so far over the span of your entire prep career Well, I guess we could take this in a couple of ways. We could look at accomplishments as in placings um, or we could look at it from experience. So I I could answer that in both ways. Obviously, experience is probably higher ranking for myself Mm -hmm. just based on my personality. Like I hold that as higher regard than I do a particular placing. Um, So, you know, I was fortunate enough for my first season, obviously, to win my pro card, which was not expected by any means. Which is so unheard of as well. (laughs) It's crazy. And like, I look at myself now and I'm like, I'm amazed. Like I would absolutely never even probably place if I had the same physique now. Um, And I know that that's a byproduct of as well, my stage presentation and everything that it was all just like a, a good package at the time. So, you know, that is definitely a huge accomplishment and I know that that is very impressive for a lot of individuals. I don't see it as my biggest accomplishment though because it Mm -hmm. just wasn't something I was going into that prep for because it was just, you know, going in and, um, you know, seeing if I liked it and if I wanted to pursue it, that was probably the accomplishment for me is knowing that Mm. I fitted into something and I was good at it. And Um, you probably didn't even place that much value on a pro card because you probably didn't even know what that really was. No, not at all. No, I was a bit blasé. And obviously when I had the opportunity to go to Worlds for the first time, I jumped at the chance because it meant I was competing and traveling overseas. And that sounded so exciting to me. Um, And I went into it knowing like I'm not going to do any well. (laughs) And I I think I came last, like, let's be realistic there. So, um, no, and then walking away from that and not being disappointed, instead looking at it as like, I'm now driven to see how far I can go with that. That in itself is an accomplishment to me because I carry through with that with every season and Mm -hmm. it's never gone away. Um, Whereas like a placing can diminish in value over time. And yes, I've got plenty of trophies. Like I don't have all of them out and show, but I have a whole tub full of medallions and trophies and things. And yes, they're fantastic to have and they're really high value when you receive them. But that's not what holds the value in the long run when you're looking at competing for a long period of time. And I'm in it for the long haul. So <laughs> Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I also just want to touch on how you said that your physique would probably not even place nowadays. So your first competition obviously being back in 2017, I think that just goes to show how much this sport has evolved and how much the standard just keeps improving each and every year. Like I think back to the last time that I competed in the fitness division and, you know, when I got my pro card and I just think now, like I would stand next to these fitness girls and I would would not be at that level anymore. I feel like the amount of muscle that these girls have is just 
insane so yeah the standard has definitely increased so much over the years even yeah just going back to my first ever show back in 2016 the standard was completely different so you'd look at a first place in 2016 versus a first place in you know 2023 2024 like it's a completely different physique and it's just crazy how much the sports evolved mm-hmm. I guess in such a short period of time and it's only going to get better from here so yeah. it's crazy and I guess yeah you're constantly just striving to be better yeah and it's not even like the physique itself like looking even at obviously posing changes and presentation changes if I had a like the, let's say I had the physique that I have now mm-hmm. and I competed but I presented myself in the same way as I did then I wouldn't get a look in <laughs> even then <laughs> the because arm. <laughs> exactly I'm not presenting myself the way that things are being perceived now and what you know ca- categories and judges and federations are wanting to see um so there's so many elements that you know, I could look back on, pick myself apart and go like, oh, I was definitely not worthy of something like that. But at the time I was and yeah. got to always remember that. And then when you're looking at like for myself, when I look at my goals moving forward, like I can't even use my prior competitive self as a means of being like, oh, I'm going to, I, I, I can't even like use it as a comparison anymore because it's no longer even a thing. Even if I was to have the same judges judge me again. Like I'm going to be different. Um, So there's so many different variables that happen over time. And I think like just always looking at, you know, the next step ahead is always a good thing Mm -hmm. and appreciating what you accomplished prior yeah current trends as well I feel like because the sport has evolved so much if you look over the years even placement of bikinis like girls used to wear bikinis just flat across their hips like they wouldn't pull them up and that Mm. looks that makes your physique look so different it was almost like a low rise and even do you remember those connectors that were really dangly and like oh my god they were so ugly I hated them in hindsight yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) at the time that was that was almost, yeah, what the trend was. So, yeah, it's definitely changed a lot over the years and even the styles of posing and things like that. So, yeah, so much has definitely changed in the sport, which is crazy. I think for the better, though, absolutely. I agree. I definitely agree. I don't really want to relive my old bikini. I love no. that bikini. The first bikini I ever wore, I have it. Obviously, I will never get rid of any of mine. But yeah. rose gold, not like really minimal scattered crystals, like basically no scattered, no crystal. Yeah. Basically looked close to naked on stage, I would probably yeah, say. Yeah, I, I did that with a gold bikini <laughs> and it blended in pretty well. I had this horrific, like, blonde, like bleach blonde hair. I think it was like a scalp bleach. And I just, yeah, the overall package was not it. <laughs> we can look at that now and laugh. But, um, yeah, definitely, definitely <laughs> some mistakes were made. So I guess when did you get into the fitness industry as a coach yourself? Because obviously you got involved in bodybuilding. What made you decide, I want to be a coach? And I guess what did you do prior to that? Um, I've been in a few different occupations, um, mainly around uh, like hospitality and retail or um, I guess like personable industries. I've always worked very high in management um, or operations or general management roles. So I've always had a lot to do with like managing business and also managing people. So that gives a bit of a context as to like where I like to help people and why I love having my own business. Um, But I was actually working in the fitness industry when I started competing. So I did transfer from hospitality to fitness, um, which meant that I was basically like managing gyms and Mm -hmm. 
um, you know, as a byproduct of, of me competing for my first season, um, I got a lot of encouragement from the owner of the gym that I worked in and, you know, the people that trained in the gym, you know, people were interested. And I also saw an opportunity there where I was struggling to get a P, like PTs in my gym. So yeah. I was like, oh, okay, this is an opportunity for me maybe to increase my knowledge base as well and look at a side business on top of that, which also benefits my current like role by yeah. maybe doing PT as well. Um, and at the time, you know, my boss was all for it. So I did that and I started doing some face-to-face PT mm-hmm. and naturally started to move a little bit more online. At that time, I was also studying, um, I shifted my bachelor's from nutrition to Chinese medicine, which in hindsight was not the best decision, but um, hindsight's always fun. (laughs) It's totally fine. Um, And so really that was the starting of me dabbling in having my own business, but I didn't follow through with that um, to where I'm at now. I did um, basically have a bit of a hiatus where I moved overseas and I basically had a period where I was focusing on other goals. So I was focusing more on my internal and life goals and I moved to Japan. So, you know, I basically made the decision that, you know, the time was right. Um, and I packed up my life and I moved over there, had my job there, um, and lived there for a while. And it was only when I came back from Japan in 2020, when COVID kind of cut off borders and I had to Mm -hmm. come back so that way I didn't get um, basically like cut off from Australia or the rest of the world um, because I wouldn't have been able to return to Australia for many years, wouldn't have been able to leave the country. Um, So that was when I went back to -to face-to-face PT and when I started coaching again. So that was um, end of 2020, uh, basically, yeah. So did you work in the fitness industry when you lived in Japan? That is incredible as well that you just (laughs) packed up and went. That's something that I feel like so many people talk about doing, but very few people actually follow through. Like that would have been such an incredible experience. I've just said that's one good quality of myself. Like I am open. Change is scary, but I'm open to uh, like going for it if it's like giving something a go and I have and it's a high value um or high importance um of course there were a lot of pros and cons there but Mm. you know it was something I didn't just think of I sat on that for years and it was just like no I'm just gonna go for it I actually um was working with an international school so um for people that don't really know getting jobs in Japan is really hard as with other um international countries that are obviously not English-based so you know I um, ideally was working as a admissions officer, which is basically like I would be the English speaking person for uh, the school. So that way, if English speaking families came, they were able yeah. to have someone to correlate with and obviously get their kids into school. I also was used very heavily for English translation. I would translate all of you know, important documents, but um, because I also had my PT certs, and they were aware of of all of that. Uh, the school actually asked me to be the kindergarten PE teacher. So oh, that wow. was so much fun and I loved it. So I had a dual role um, yeah. and I catered for teaching kids between the ages of one to five. So yeah. um, and that's obviously teaching them fundamental skills such as learning mm-hmm. how to like throw, grip, 
and like all kinds of different things. So it was just a lot of fun and I loved that. Um, but definitely um, something that I probably wouldn't do in Australia at all. I thought maybe I might when I came back, but definitely not. I think it's just like the environment there was so different and I love yeah. that as a byproduct of everything as a whole. Um, yeah. Trying to do it in the same, like in a different location just isn't the same. Yeah. Do they require you to speak some Japanese at all or a little bit um yeah. so the school itself was an international school meaning that they teach the kids to speak in English yeah. so they're required to basically communicate in English and they were kindergarten all the way through to high school but mm -hmm. of course being young kids um most of them were still you know learning between the two so I did have to speak in Japanese um, and then if I was in the office, I had to learn business Japanese as well. So my Japanese wasn't fluent. Um, it was really good for what I needed to converse. And it obviously learned more over time mm -hmm. when I was there. It's absolutely horrible now, unfortunately, because <laughs> I just haven't had that um, interaction. Yeah. 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 So in my um, auditory is really good, but my verbal is is not what it was. And mm. um, I'm relearning how to read and write again because yeah. that it, that just goes so quickly, sadly. Yeah. So conversationally, you were fine. Conversation was fine. Yeah. It did depend on the conversation because there's different contexts, like formal, informal mm. that you would have. Um, but it was even hard to sometimes learn the language when your friends want to learn how to speak English and they'll try to speak English as well. So I need to basically um, relearn again before I head back over, which will be this year. So yeah. that's that's one of my goals for this year is to be able to be back to being fluent uh, conversationally. Um, yeah. That's so exciting. So obviously you're going over to compete, which I guess brings me to my next question, which is what is your biggest goal as a competitor for 2024? to accomplish what I set out for 2020. <laughs> <laughs> the redemption. It, it's actually as simple as that. Um, I don't have expectations on placings for this mm -hmm. year at all. Um, I have obviously talked about this in the past about how my my shows got cancelled, but it wasn't just my shows getting cancelled in Australia with covid the intentions for me for that year was actually to compete because I lived in Asia and I wanted to compete in Asia. Mm. So my goal this year is to compete in Asia. Like yeah. that's the goal. Um, so that means that I will be obviously spending a large portion of the back end of this year um, overseas, um, which excites me a lot. And yeah, very I, I like I haven't like outside of last year, the back end of last year, I haven't done any travel prior to that so this will be the first time I will be on a long haul flight or like kind of far away from home for a little while and I missed it like I miss being in that continent I like yeah. definitely enjoy a lot of aspects of it and that is my biggest goal is just being able to follow through with that so yeah <laughs> yeah that's awesome it's always good to you know do what you say you're going to do as well and obviously with you can't help that there was a pandemic and <laughs> you weren't able to compete so it'll be so exciting for you to actually follow through with that goal after mm. all these years very exciting is that a solo venture or are you going with Dan so Daniel will be coming with me um yeah. so the benefit of um I guess uh like Australian seasons is that they kind of tied into one period. So mm -hmm. it's kind of nice that we can 
coordinate where um, I might be able to compete and it doesn't have a conflict for the both of us because obviously I'll have competitors too. Um, the good news is, is that I'm looking at obviously traveling by the end of the season here. So yeah. um, ideally it would be great if he can come with me and we're planning on trying to have a bit of a break afterwards as well because we're obviously overseas. But at the same time, if he doesn't come, I'm so fine on my own. So Yeah, which is <laughs> I, good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, obviously he will add to the experience, but it's good that you feel confident to be able to do that by yourself regardless. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess as a coach, what would be your biggest goals this year? It's so great that you have that flexibility that you both can go overseas and be able to work, which is awesome. So you'll still be able to work with your clients mm-hmm. and I, it'll make it so much easier that Japan is, I think they're only an hour behind. So Yeah, make, normally, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it'll make it a lot easier in terms of time. Time zones. I know that when I was doing my check-ins while I was in America, the time zones were so different. So it definitely made working a lot trickier, but at least you'll be pretty consistent with your work just because of the time zone. So yeah, what are your biggest goals as a coach this year? Well, well, they're kind of bifold, um, twofold, twofold, not bifold. What am I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Making up words. Um, well, one of them is actually for me to broaden my uh, presence, obviously, in, in a different region, and that is in Asia, funnily enough. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> and that's already started happening as of the last season. I have been able to work with a lot of women in a lot of Asian countries, including um, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Malaysia, uh even Dubai as well so it's really cool to be able to be someone that is not based there but still have the ability to work with individuals and it's hard and like transferring uh services over to maybe a non-English speaking country um Mm -hmm. because not everyone is confident there or knows how to so one of my goals is to continue to grow myself globally um and of course it it does benefit me having more aspirations with um, travel and judging as well because it means that I become more present um, in mm-hmm. certain federations and communities. And then, yeah. of course, like of growing my business as a whole in Australia. So, you know, I'm definitely like still up and coming as a, a bodybuilding coach and obviously working with comp clients. So I'm only going to get bigger and, and and more experienced, the the bigger that my team becomes. And obviously the more that people become aware of myself, obviously the more that's going to grow. So that is obviously the other focus as a coach. But you know, outside of like actual business, when we're talking about business growth, it's just continuing to enjoy being a part of clients' journeys because that is such a fantastic opportunity to have and when you've been a competitor you know how valuable that is and Mm. living into it has been a like an aid for me to be able to want to compete this year and like keep that passion going so I'm excited to obviously live into that with my clients um and obviously like you see that continue to just grow and and foster which is really really cool yeah absolutely and I think when you've seen how much of a dramatic you know, influence competing has on your own life and to be able to see that for your clients as well is so nice and to be able to live vicariously through them is always amazing and super motivating. So you also touched on being a judge, which is something that I guess you only got into as of last year, so 2023. What made you want to become a judge in the first place? 
Well, this was something that I've been thinking of for a little while, um, but not obviously not had an opportunity to do so. I, of course, haven't been able to, like yourself, compete with our federation where we hold our pro status uh, because of you know, circumstances and, and, and other things um, in regards to like affiliates and, and COVID and stuff. But I've always wanted to have a means to stay um like invested in the federation um, and be a part of that community um, and give back to the community in Australia. So, you know, that was something that I was always really interested in as maybe a potential. And I, I didn't really think it would happen like it did uh, for last year. I had been given the opportunity to guest judge in Taiwan in 2020 but of course that didn't happen <laughs> um so there was the potential that I could have been a judge earlier on if that yeah. hadn't eventuated but of course things happen and of course when the Australian affiliate uh came back and Sebastian and Yolan um brought it to Australia again I jumped on that opportunity to introduce myself because I saw this as like this is the time that I could obviously you know provide value and give my experience not only as a experienced competitor having competed in multiple worlds and having that understanding of what the federation wants and needs mm -hmm. but also my attention and, and detail as a coach like my my attention to detail like my eye attention to detail and understanding of um you know what is necessary to be a good competitor on stage and um was becoming more pronounced and I was really solid in my my skills there yeah. so I felt like it was timely really like it was just timely and like I've loved it I yeah. I think <laughs> like, it suits you very well because you are very detail oriented so I think that that worked very well for you and you are a very good judge so I guess what catches your eye on stage and what do you look for in a successful bikini competitor okay I'm glad you said bikini because otherwise I could be <laughs> really broad um so I guess if we're looking at WMBF specific, seeing as that is the federation I judge for, yeah. um, really the best representation of the the category criteria. So the biggest thing would be symmetry and balance, mm. and that extends to muscularity, to body composition, upper to lower symmetry, so how your upper body and lower body uh, balance is in relation to shape and muscularity and also conditioning um presentation and overall package is huge so that is yeah. like not to be overlooked by any means you want someone that walks out and you're like wow this is amazing like this person is really captivating I'm really drawn in I want to see more is like always a good thing to have mm. um you want to keep the judge's eye and it'd be hard to look away or always coming back to that so little details really make a big difference and overall it doesn't mean that you have to be extreme either. You just have to find the best balance that works for you. And I think that that's something that people think is not um, like achievable because yeah. they try to be someone they're not. And that's definitely not what you want to do when you're yeah, on stage. Definitely. You've had obviously a fair time away from stage. And, you know, during that time, you've worked with competitors yourself as a coach and you've also been a judge so knowing what you know now and the insights that you have what would you do differently from this prep to last is there anything that you'd change so the biggest thing that I'm going to be changing for this prep um 
is just a little bit more in regards to sitting with things more knowing mm-hmm. I like I obviously have experience this will be my fifth prep so yeah. it's not like I don't know what I'm getting into I know what it feels like to be hungry and tired mm-hmm. and all of those things and I I want to go into this one being better at sitting with that and just managing it mm-hmm. and rather than trying to cope and I like to say manage and cope because cope means that I'm trying to fight against it and create a strategy to work around it. Whereas manage means that I'm doing my best to accommodate for me, maybe changing some things to aid with me just getting through the day or pushing through. Mm. Um, So it's not, I don't think that my nutrition and training approach will change much. Like I will obviously uh, follow um, a meal plan. Um, I generally even if I didn't have a meal plan, it tends to be a meal plan anyway. It's pretty structured and I have the same thing every day, but I have even started doing this now with my off season and also um, the last mini cut that I did. I don't volumize my food. I am more aware of my caffeine intake and don't have unnecessary fluids outside of like my water and my soft drink where like I'm allowed to have it. Like I don't go out of my way anymore. And that's one thing that I did do previously is like you find little loopholes we try ways to make it easier for yourself rather than doing that I want to just embrace it yeah of course and I find the more you try to reduce that um you know that hunger I feel like the more your food focus increases and the more difficult it becomes whereas if you just keep everything simple it actually becomes so much easier I think the the more you're trying to find these loopholes, the harder it actually gets for you. Because yeah. regardless of what you do, to some extent, you know, you are going to be hungry, you are going to be tired, you can try and optimize all aspects of your prep <laughs> as much as you can. But I feel like it's just one of those things that's unavoidable. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And like, you're only going to learn that by making all the mistakes. I made all the mistakes, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, of course. And like, I feel and like this- each prep improves as well because you obviously have more knowledge and experience each and every time. So you, even that being said, prep is obviously very different each time, but I feel like you definitely do find better ways of managing it. Yes. And the other thing that I'm going to do, which is just be a little bit more uh, strict on my routine. So as yeah. in setting non-negotiables for myself, like this is a designated training time. I don't wave from this. I'll, I know that that will be optimal ongoing. So mm-hmm. for example, uh, returning to morning training, cause that's generally when I feel my best and making sure that I don't push those boundaries when it comes to certain aspects. So, you know, um, you know, that works for me. And I say that yeah. because I know myself mm. and I could be more flexible, but in the same token, I will be more flexible in some areas such as being able to spend more time with friends and family but that needs to be a non-negotiable that I'm setting for myself because I Mm want to uphold a particular standard and make sure that my training is not diminished because of other factors yeah of course and I feel like as a competitor you thrive off structure so Mm -hmm. having that structure and having those non-negotiables just makes the entire process a lot smoother so when does your prep officially start? I feel like this is definitely something that we should document with a future podcast episode. So I'm super excited about this. Yeah, you can do like weekly catch-ups, like how dead are you today? When <laughs> <laughs> you're just zombie status. It's actually not right. that far away. It's not far though. It's um, yeah. looking like I will be starting my prep 
after I come back from Taiwan for judging WMBF Taiwan in April. Um, so I'm excited for that. I need to start organizing that very, very soon. But of course, you know, being away for several days uh, with that event, it means that I have to make sure that I plan my timeline efficiently. Yeah, of so course. I'm aiming to start prep mid to late April, which mm -hmm. sees me competing uh, obviously through the back end of next year. So um, timeline and specifics are still TBC um, yeah. because obviously nothing is set in stone at this point in time um, with official dates and locations. Yeah. I have some proposed plans, but we'll obviously see how things go close to the date, but at least I have a mapped out timeline and we have feedback as to how I respond and potential level of conditioning as well and, and yeah. timeline that I'll need. So Absolutely. I'll be doing an extended prep because there'll probably be quite big gaps between my shows. Mm -hmm. um, so we're not starting too early, but at the same token, I will be aiming to be close to ready for my first show whenever that is yeah <laughs> um so yeah starting in April is the plan and yeah. currently just sitting at kind of maintenance obviously in a surplus but maintenance after my mini cut and I'll probably aim to do just a very short couple of week mini cut again in a few weeks time uh just to pull things down just a tiny bit more and then off we go very exciting and realistically, like, time goes is so quick. And that's so like around quick. probably, yeah, 12 weeks away. Yeah, if that. If, I think it's that, like 10. Yeah. <laughs> Which is super exciting and I'm really excited to have a recap of the Taiwan show as well. So we'll definitely have to have an episode dedicated to that too. But <laughs> it's been so awesome just hearing a wrap-up of your journey and your experiences. And I thought that we could do a little quick fire of questions to finish mm -hmm. up the episode so first up favorite macro friendly meal help <laughs> i'm like i can't think of one <laughs> what's um, your go-to prep meal okay prep meal um at the moment mm, this is hard. <laughs> Nicole's not getting the quick fire <laughs> I, i'm like my brain is not commuting quick fire um I feel like I'm so boring when it comes to my food because I just eat the same thing every day. Um, I'm the same. I have like my hyperfixation meals and then I move on from that. I'm still obsessed with pasta at the moment. So like just I'm, I'm going to, I have to say, because like it's easy because you can make it for a deficit or a surplus just based yeah. on what ingredients you put in and the quantities. Um, but I would have to say uh, yogurt with fresh fruit and protein powder is probably a go-to for me every day and also it's easy to manipulate so I could make that more calorie dense or I could make that lower calorie dense depending on what I want to add into it so um yeah. I'm a I'm a fiend for fresh fruit but unfortunately yeah. with my IBS I can't have a lot of different kinds Your stomach <laughs> <is not. laughs> so no so I am a berry fiend so I love fresh berries so they're a non-negotiable in my daily diet mm -hmm. um and benefit is they are low calorie high volume yeah, yeah. <laughs> fantastic fiber um so I'm going to say my my macro friendly meal is yeah yogurt with a, a whey protein and fresh fruit Speaking of protein, what would be your favorite supplement brand? Uh, I don't take a lot of supplements. Um, obviously, just the standard, as in like 
creatine way. Um, I do t- take pre-workout occasionally. Like I have to be very careful there. Um, mm-hmm. Caffeine and me at the end of the day are not great friends. Not so friendly. no. Yes, so yeah. I would have to say I'm very low key on the supplement front. Mm-hmm. Um, just go for the essentials. My favorite protein powder is Ghost. Um, Ghost protein, yeah, it's amazing. The um cereal milk with the marshmallow bits in it is my favorite. I'm sorry if you buy it no. and you, it's like I don't know what it's like to drink it, but mixing with yogurt, it's like little crunchy sherbet bits. It's so good, and I'm probably like sad to say that I go through the tub pretty quickly because I'm trying to pick out the little marshmallow bits. (laughs) (laughs) Do you prefer off-season or prep? Prep. Prep. Favourite bodybuilding federation? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the most political answer would be to say WMBF because that's where I have my most experience and, yeah. yeah. And non-politically correct answer? No comment. No comment. <laughs> Favourite no. bikini pro? Um, so aspirationally, I'm going mm-hmm. to go with that one, as in long, long-term aspirations, is Jen Dory. Yep. Favourite compound lift? Romanian deadlifts. Yep. Upper or lower body training? Uh, lower. Um, lower. I say lower only because I struggle with a lot of upper body lifts because I'm definitely not as strong, unfortunately, in my pressing movements. But then if I was to say upper, I love training back. Yeah. So I might actually say upper if it's a back day. Okay. And favorite ac- active wear brand? Lululemon. That's all I wear. Yeah, day in day out <laughs> I, I I um am a I have a guilty pleasure I have been very very loyal to them for many many years I don't think you'll probably ever see me in a another brand if it's athleisure um, ride or die. I am 100% including my accessories including my socks now <laughs> but so not, code. <laughs> yeah not to say that I haven't dabbled with other athletic brands I just haven't found anything that's worked for my physique really well yeah yeah I feel like every, everyone's different everyone has their favorites but I open to an, open to suggestions though lululemon aligned heights are definitely a go-to as well mm-hmm. and I feel Not like we're good for you... like weightlifting though but no so they will pill but they are the softest leggings <laughs> <laughs> Well, Nicole, it was absolutely amazing being able to ask you all of these questions and I look forward to my interview next week. If yeah. you enjoyed this episode, as always, make sure that you screenshot it and tag us and share it to your story. And if you're feeling extra kind, we would really appreciate if you left us a review. Thank you so much for listening and until next week, bye. Bye. Bye.